Dr. C here. Before we begin, I'd like to make sure that you're aware that this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp.com. BetterHelp is a leading provider of online therapy, and then they provide video, phone, or live chat sessions with a licensed professional therapist. It's affordable, and you can connect with your therapist within 48 hours. Now, as a special offer to our surviving narcissism listeners, they'll offer a 10% discount for your first month of professional therapy. All you have to do is go to betterhelp.com, that's betterhelp.com, slash Surviving Narcissism Podcast. I know that many of you would find online therapy to be quite life-changing, and so go to betterhelp.com slash Surviving Narcissism Podcast, and many thanks to the people at BetterHelp for sponsoring our podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Surviving Narcissism Podcast with your host, Dr. Les Carter. I'm Michaela, the program director, and in today's episode, Dr. Carter is joined by Dr. Henry Cloud to discuss his approach to setting boundaries. Hey, Team Healthy. You know that I like to bring in special guests from time to time so that we can talk about all sorts of topics related to what we do here on this channel. And okay, I have kind of the uh, the quintessential. Uh, this is a guest who needs no introduction. Uh, with me today is is uh, Dr. Henry Cloud. And uh, Henry, first of all, uh, thanks so much for taking time out of your schedule uh, to be. I understand you're on the road uh, doing a conference, and uh, so you're kind of in in between time right now. So, but thanks for being with us here today. Well, it's good to be with you, Les. It's been a while since we got to hang out, and I was looking forward to it. Well, and just so our audience knows. Um, we we have connections with uh, with Frank Minerth and Paul Meyer from way back when, like 40 plus years ago. You had spent some time in Dallas uh, and I was in Dallas and uh, and then you wound up going out to the L.A. and Newport Beach and L.A. area. And so uh, we didn't have nearly as much time as I would have liked, but uh, we've known each other, been acquainted with each other for a number of years. And Henry, I've just been following your career and you've done a whole lot of really good things. And, and I'm, I'm hoping that our audience understands that you and your pal, uh, John Townsend, are, are kind of the ones that put that word boundaries into the psychological nomenclature. Uh, when did you actually write that book, uh, Boundaries? Uh, that, was, that was, I guess, your first really large book, right? Well, it, actually, my first one was Changes That Heal. Okay. And the second section of Changes That Heal, it talk, Changes That Heal talks about the four big issues developmentally that cause its problems. You know, we get to be adults. And the second one is the issue of boundaries. You know, you first, first a baby's got to get connected. That's the first one. And then about the second age, second year of life, then they start to establish this thing called separateness, you know, from mama. And they start to push away and they learn the word no. <laughs> and so <laughs> and so changes the deal talked about four different developmental steps like that. Well, it's kind of a funny story, Les. We were um we were doing a lot of, you know, seminars and stuff at that time on changes at Hill. And we we were having uh we were having a planning day one time and a consultant ask us so when y'all go out and speak what are all the questions about and we started laughing and we said they're all about boundaries and he said well why don't y'all write a book on boundaries yeah 
I remember, I don't know why I remember this, but I remember that moment. I started to laugh. And I said, John, we got to do that. Because if we write that book, that'll answer the questions. Then we won't ever have to talk about this again. Yeah, famous last words. Yeah. And we had no idea, Les. Um, it just hit a nerve. And yeah. I think, you know, at the time, the recovery movement was just starting in the church. And you had a lot of people going into recovery. And then as a as part of that, you also had a lot of people, you know, in relationships with addicts. And so they were going into codependency recovery. Well, the churches that were with it were with it. But then you had all the other churches that were kind of the, you know, the babalogs. I say that with all affection, but they... Um, we're kind of pointing the finger at anybody's in recovery because they didn't like 12 steps and they didn't like this enabling language and all that. So we said, well, look, this is all from the scriptures. So we're going to write kind of a theology of codependency and boundaries and what that's about so that Christians can understand that the Bible supports you setting limits with hurtful, abusive behavior. That's a biblical concept. And so it kind of gave people permission to not be abused and used. <laughs> and so that's kind of what happened. Well, and 20 million copies of your books later, uh, you're still cranking and still going, yeah, you, you've really kind of taken this and you started with the boundaries book and then it uh, spun all, because I, I know you guys, you and John were doing uh, so many uh, conferences and all um, all across the country, and then it got into boundaries in marriage with children, and and then you yeah. start getting into leadership development and, and corporations, and it's just turned into a, a huge thing, and like you say, it, it touched a nerve that so many people uh, could relate to, and uh, here you are, you're still clicking and still going, so uh, kudos to you on that. Um let's let's see if we can just kind of get a baseline definition when you talk about boundaries yeah. one one of my pet peeves is uh, sometimes when people say well uh, you, when you set boundaries that means you get to tell everybody no and it's it's so much <laughs> more than that uh what are we referring to when we talk about having healthy boundaries in our primary relationships and uh, you know what does all that entail yeah, it's a really good question because you know we have a lot of words floating around out there now that have lost their meaning I mean, I hear it's like narcissism is one. I hear everybody. Oh, yeah. If I don't like you, you're probably a narcissist. Yeah, that's right. And yeah. and that word has no meaning anymore. Borderline personality has no meaning anymore. Being triggered has no meaning anymore. I mean, it's just all this stuff out there. Right. But basically, a boundary is a property line. That's what it is. You have a house, okay? And whether you own it or rent it, and you got a yard, we can go down to the courthouse and we can see a plot map that says this is where your property ends and someone else's begins. All right. So now you live next door to somebody and your neighbors. Now there's a property line that defines your property. And what that does is it, it gives you control of that property. It makes you free from your neighbor being able to control your property. They can't come paint your house green without your permission. 
it gives the ability if there's somebody you don't want on your property because they're going to hurt you or abuse you or steal something that you can lock the gate and say no i'm not going to tolerate that behavior and you're not coming in my house if you do that so freedom control but it also gives you responsibility for what goes on on that property yeah so that's the bible we see this language throughout the bible somebody steps over the fence and does steals from you what do we call it a trespasser the bible says forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us so we step over each other's property now think of your personhood you exist and there's a place where you exist and somebody else begins And so we have gates in our boundaries. You know, we can open up our heart to let good people in, let love in, let wisdom in, let help and support in. But if somebody's going to come to your house and try to do something bad to you, then what do you do? You lock the door and you say, you, you can't come in and do that. Now, what happens is people misinterpret it and they say you know like you said it means i can say no to everybody and you know and 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 it's selfish it's not selfish at all boundaries promote love they're not to make somebody unloving the things that i mentioned to people that uh, when you establish your personal boundaries with other individuals uh you have to have a certain core value system that you right. stand for. And uh, when you talk about your property line, uh, the, the way I envision it, the property line is uh, is your definition of who you are. I have That's a definition it. of who I am. And uh, these are my principles. These are my standards. These are my preferences and interpretations and priorities. And that's something I get to take initiative in. And as you're mentioning, and if you'd like to share with me, I'd, I'd be more than happy to uh, to talk with you and we can have a fluidity. I, you know, my, my next door neighbor is Bert and I can step over into his yard and say, hey, Bert, let's talk. Uh, but then the rest of it, just like you say, but that's his property. This is my property. And yeah. And if, you, if you if you start to talk to him and you like him and he's nice, what do you do? Say, well, Bert, come on into my yard. Exactly. And then if you, if you, Trust him and like more. Bert, come on into the house. And then you invite him further and further into your life and heart. But that's based on he who's been faithful with a little of less his time. (laughs) Just more of that. Have a little bit more, exactly. Okay. Now in in your experience. Yeah, can I I just say one one quick thing about about something you said, Les? You know, you said about your value system and it defines who you are. Well, when you see a child becoming a toddler. They're defining who they are separate from the rest of the world, right? And their favorite word is what? No. You know, they they learn that word. Well, that's a good word. And your value system you mentioned, one of my favorite boundary value system sort of deeds, if you will, is David in Psalm 101. It's unbelievable. He says, he says, there are certain people I will not tolerate. They will not be near me they will not come close to me liars people that pervert things narcissists that look down and judge and slander you know i'm paraphrasing here unfaithful people all this and then he says the faithful people those who do things god's way those are the ones who will minister to me 
So he's saying yes to certain kinds of behavior in people, but then he's saying no. He actually says they will be far away from me. Yeah, I want yeah. anything to do with somebody that's doing this. Um, let me ask you, and this is kind of twofold. Uh, what kind of people would you say have the greatest difficulty establish their own personal boundaries? And then the, the second question is what kind of people are more than willing to step over other individuals' boundaries? Well, it's a good question. I, I, I you know, I'd actually put the second question. Those people are included in the first. one. Okay. You know, what kinds of people have trouble with boundaries? Anybody with a belly button. <laughs> okay i got well, one if you got, if you got a belly button what does that mean that means that you're not adam or eve <laughs> right okay the rest of us came through this human race after it was imperfect and boundary confused so you you go to genesis 3 the very first thing that happens when they stepped over God's boundary, they trespassed and they ate of the tree that didn't belong to them. So then God kicks them out of his yard. And, and, he, and he says to them, what you do here? The very first thing you see them do is not take responsibility and ownership for their own behavior. And Adam said, well, it's the woman you gave me. She made me do this. And Eve goes, well, it's the serpent. He made me do this. And see, the, the, the controlling people, we call controllers, because they're trying to control, like you're saying, not respecting other people. They're stepping over and blaming it. You know, have, you've done a lot of marriage counseling. Well, you know, why are you upset with others? Because he, you know, he's so controlling. And you turn yeah. to him and say, why are you so controlling? Because she's so angry. Yeah. And so every human does this. All right, so here it gets into the second part of the question. Some, some humans are a little more aggressively endowed, if you will. You know, you go, in a, you go in a newborn nursery and look in the window and all the little babies in the burrito wrapped up there. You know, some of them are just fine with the world. They just take things in. They're, bye, bye, bye. they're sitting there like, and yeah. then right in the, right in the little, little fishbowl next to them, one of them's like, <laughs> the, the, those are the future attorneys of the world. They're ready for a fight, you know, from day one. Well, okay. they get to be 25 years old and they go to a party and they instantly fall in love because one of them is what we call codependent and they give in to other people's wishes to control and people a little more self-centered overtly are the controllers but see what the codependents don't realize is you're just as controlling as the narcissist in this way you're trying to love somebody out of their selfishness you think that you can fix them you think that see that's a control thing to people pleasing i'm gonna i'm gonna do something to make you change so i'm happy uh, that's See, this I, is a human, this is a human thing. Henry, you know that I, I did a, uh, I've done a lot of writing in the topic of anger and I used to do a lot of anger workshops. And then actually uh, I did quite a number of uh, boundary workshops as well. And uh, one of the books that I have is called When Pleasing You is Killing Me. 
And yeah. uh, one of the things that I mentioned in that book is that just what you're saying, uh, and that is uh, when I uh, go way too deep into the appeasement and pleasing mode, that's its own form of passive control. Uh, that's a better way of saying what I just said. Yeah. And and it's sad because, um, you know, one of the things I hear all the time, Les, and it really makes me sad, it, out in the country, I can't tell you how many times I've done live radio call in or somehow call in and say, well, somebody, you know, my husband was diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder and, you know, they don't change. And I have to go there. Stop. It's just stop. First of all, when you say narcissistic personality disorder, what kind of narcissists are they? And they go, well, they're kind of, I go, no, those are external behaviors, symptoms, the DSM would, diagnostic manual would call them but that's like saying to a doctor well my husband's got a fever he's not gonna get well well what kind of character structure is underlying that fever and and see the culture does not think about that question right the bible does and and depth psychology and diagnostic frameworks do but if you say for example um, just the question of just asking this, are they a shame-based narcissist or are they an envy-based narcissist? Okay. Or was it, well, a lot of people have what on the surface is a lot of narcissistic behavior, very self-centered, very approval-seeking, very trying to control others. But underneath that is a very, very, very deep, vulnerable sense of shame and hurt. And they built this grandiose external world to try to stay away from their vulnerability and codependents come and help them actually do that. That's a different person than somebody with narcissistic traits and behaviors who's what we call envy based, which is not, they feel little and small inside. They feel they're the essence of omnipotence and grandiosity. And they really do feel like they are God. They're not covering up anything. Yeah. And so with one of those, and, you know, and th these aren't as black and white as that, they're fluid, that narcissistic people change all the time with good therapy. And people with narcissistic defenses begin to and give those up with good period. And some of them don't because God's got the same problem. He tries to help everybody and some go away and some won't listen. And so it's really important for, as you're saying, the people pleaser to understand you don't have control of how they respond, but you can have a set of tools that'll help you find out if they will or can respond. And I've seen a lot of narcissistic, I mean, we've been writing books on how to treat narcissists since 70s. So don't tell me they can't change. Some do and some don't. On our website, survivingnarcissism.tv, we offer various courses. One of them is entitled, This is Me, Establishing Boundaries Despite the Controllers in Your Life. 
inside each of my courses, I break it down into modules, and then each module consists of various lessons that have a video, written materials, and questions for personal reflection. And inside This Is Me, we talk about uh, defining who you want to be and then staying inside that definition. We discuss assertiveness skills, how to stay strong without being defensive, if you would be interested in, in enrolling in this course or any of the others that we have, go to our website, click the courses link, and you'll receive all the information for how you can enroll. I hope you would find them to be quite helpful. And now back to Surviving Narcissism with Dr. Carter. Yeah, and, and the way I put it to my audience is uh, it's a pattern on a spectrum. And uh, the capacity for change depends on how far down the spectrum we, uh, you're on. And uh, healthy individuals can see those ingredients and own it, claim it, and do something about it. Unhealthy people just uh, keep pushing forward with it, no matter what anybody says. So it all just depends on who, uh, who that person is and how willing they are to do the do the hard work, right? That, and also, if you're going to look at it as a spectrum, there's a parallel railroad track to that. Okay. So that's the other person. This is a person that loves it. This is a codependent. So if this train is going down the track and I'm just going down the track and continuing to mirror their grandiosity and people please and this, that, and the other, that's one thing. But if I, if I learn boundaries, okay. And I can, I can begin to express those in the way the Bible talks about it, which is a combination of grace and truth, love and limits then I can stop their grandiose and hurtful behavior from working, okay? If I have good limits and boundaries, their controlling behavior is not going to work anymore. And so now what's happened is, you know, people ask me sometimes, how do you deal with a controlling person? I go, you, you convert them. And they go, well, he's not interested in becoming a Christian. I didn't say anything about, faith conversion you convert them from a controlling i said there's no such thing as a controlling person think about this you you're right now they're controlling because they're making you do all this and blah 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 you just say no to them and they are no longer a controlling person because they don't have control of you now you've converted them to a frustrated person now that's different Okay, now now your term no, terminology is really different on that. Okay, I, I, I'm, I'm tracking you with convert you. Them. Now they're not control. They don't have control of anything. They're In just, other words, you're saying they have to have your consent. You got to have my consent for me to participate in this. Yeah. So after they know, then they're going to run into a limit. We see this when we treat addicts all the time. You do an intervention and they're narcissistic controlling diffusing blaming all of that behavior stops working and then they find themselves outside by themselves now at that point they're either going to break because they find out they're not as omnipotent as they thought they were and now it's possible they begin to have a need and they miss the people that they've lost because of their behavior and then they humble themselves and say, okay, I need help. Now we got somebody we work with. So if this train's going down one track, you got to look at. I'm on the. I'm in the other lane. Am I just going to keep throwing fuel over there to help them be mean and omnipotent, controlling, 
or am I going to stop doing that and then see what they do? You know, um, back when I was uh, doing my anger workshops in particular and boundaries and anger management go very tightly hand in hand. But I would talk to people about the difference between being aggressive and, and uh, assertive and suppressing, et cetera. And when we talk about the uh, assertiveness, it's it's basically what you're talking about with respect to knowing who you are and establishing your property lines and staying with it. And then I would have people come back to my office or to a, a seminar and they'd say, well, Carter, I tried that assertive stuff and it didn't work. <laughs> and meaning, or, meaning the other person didn't turn into Cupid. Exactly. Uh, it, it's, in other words, I, I tried to be a different person and, and uh, they stayed the same way. And Imagine I that. And I would emphasize it works when you're true to yourself. And right. yes, it would certainly be nice if that person would flow with you, but you, you uh, have used repetitively that word codependent. Uh, I'm no longer going to be in that codependent dance. Right. And uh, I, I'm going to go ahead and be true to what I know is wisest and best. And if the other person would like to come along with me, that would be absolutely wonderful. And if not, then they're not going to be on my property. Uh, that sounds a lot like God. How do you mean that? It, it, this is something I, I ask audiences all the time, Christian audiences. I'll say, um, so what's Joshua's most famous verse? And they'll either say, you know, be courageous, or they'll say, as for me and my, my house, house, yeah, we will serve the Lord. Then I will ask this well-versed Christian audience, what does he say in the sentence before that? I've never gotten an answer. Here's what he says. If it's disagreeable to you to serve the Lord, then serve whom you will. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And you said, look, this is the way I'm going to do life. You can come along if you want. See, that's what an intervention does. The family finally gets together and says, we're not going to give in to this anymore. Um, we want you to be part of the family. And if you choose to go to treatment, then we're going to stick with this and work it out. But if you don't, then there's the door and you can go continue to do whatever you want. So God has always granted human freedom to choose. Do you, like you said, you want to come be in my house or not? But to be here, there's certain values. I will not allow myself to be berated. I will not allow myself to be whatever. And if you do that, then I'll go in the other room or I'll go spend the night with Sally or, you yeah. know, our audience here has a very broad range of people uh, in terms of their religious persuasions or sometimes not. Uh, what I'm hearing you say is there needs to be at least some, uh, some form of spiritual groundedness uh, that an individual has. Uh, Victor Frankl talks about having your sense of meaning and you're that guiding force that you yeah. have. Uh, and so uh, you, you wrote another book. Uh, I think the title is just integrity. Is that right? And, um, how that's got to be at the core. If you're going to, uh, I think you wrote that in the context of leadership development and all, uh, and each one of us in order for us to move forward with this uh, healthy way of, uh, of being with other individuals has to have that, that inner sense that says, um, not just, I know who I am, but I, I'm anchored to, to the, the right kind of things, goodness and decency, respect, uh, and regard for other individuals. Talk about that, uh, the necessity for that, uh, internal sense of integrity that uh, is so essential here. Well, it's a really important question because, you know, a lot of times, um, whether you're in the faith world or not, most people, if you ask them, you know, what's integrity, they kind of will give you a moral definition. You know, it means somebody's got 
good character. What's character? And they'll say, well, you know, I can believe what they say. You can believe the numbers. They're not going to lie to me. You know, they're trustworthy. But if you keep drilling down on it, and it's basically they mean they're honest and they're not, they don't lie, they don't steal. They're faithful, you know. Well, that's neither a psychological definition of character, nor if you come from the faith world, a biblical version of character. Moral functioning is a piece of the pie of what it means to be human. And it does need to be kind of the foundation. There's a verse in the Bible that says in Second Peter 1, it says, add to your faith, if you're going to be have a good life and be fruitful, add to it moral excellence. So we got to stop lying, cheating, and stealing. Great. Well, my five-year-old girls could do that, you know, but they're not ready for marriage or ready for the business. Okay. It says, add to that knowledge. Okay. If somebody's got integrity, integrity means to be integrated or whole. So to have a whole life and have good boundaries, like you're saying, and not get control back, I got to learn some stuff about how these dynamics work. I got to learn some stuff about communication skills. I got to have some knowledge, some wisdom to be able to make marriage work and parenting work. And then it says to that self-control. Well, I got to start having my own boundaries for myself. I got to say no to my anger stop yelling at people and be nice i got to be able and then from that perseverance and it adds all these character traits so integrity when a when a codependent goes into codependency treatment what they find is they've got to integrate a lot of stuff they've never dealt with inside they've got fears of abandonment that's driving all this codependent behavior. They've got guilt and shame that the co- that the narcissist is able to push those buttons. They've got to do some integrative work of a whole person healing, and then they'll have better boundaries. But you can't just go to a how to say no workshop right. if you've got <laughs> abandonment, yeah, abandonment or wounded trauma inside of you that a narcissist can just keep those pushing those buttons buttons, yeah you gotta get healed yeah henry way back uh many moons ago now i I did all my graduate work in the late 70s finished in 1980 but uh i had a professor that uh once told me he said les you're not going to be able to guide someone any further than where you yourself are able to go And I I heard that very kind of theme in what you were just saying there. If I'm going to be somebody that says, well, I want to have a sense of boundaries with other individuals and I'm asking them to have decency or coordination and and, um, all of uh, the patients with me, I'm I'm a hypocrite. If I'm not able to uh, lean into those kinds of ingredients myself, which then takes us to your point, I've got to do my own work. And so yeah. positioning yourself to be a person that knows how to manage boundaries means that you know yourself well. And you, like you say, we've got that strong definition, self-respect, and then it becomes mutual respect. Would that be a good way to put it? Yeah, I think that's a very important, important concept. You know, um, if you go to the faith language, <laughs> throughout the Bible, there's a phrase, well, it's the blind leading the blind, you know? Yeah. And, and if you go to 12-step language, who is it that helps somebody else? Is the person that gets to the 12th step. That's the very last thing you do is go help somebody else. Bef- you you, you got to get, you got to get yeah. kind of 
top side of the water level first. Yeah. You know, in the airplane, you got to put your mask on first or you're not going to be able to help the person next to you. So, um, and the other part of that is, is, uh, and you know, if, for those of you who don't come from a faith perspective, I tend to, uh, I tend to sort of look at the world and all the psychology and all the diagnostics and neuroscience and all that. And I just happen to see the Bible verses that talk about the same thing, but it, it's, it's very, there's a great little verse that Jesus said one time. He said, we got to get the log out of our own eye first before we can see clearly to get the log out of our brother or sister's eye. So if you're dealing with a control freak, but you still have fears of abandonment or fears of disapproval or what somebody else thinks of you is going to be able to dictate your behavior, we got to get that log healed first. So then I can confront them. And when they start calling me names, I say, well, I'm sorry you feel that way, but I'm still not going to do what you're saying because now I'm coming from a position of strength. Yeah. And so remember what we said in the beginning of this, that we don't have boundaries as the first growth step in life. That's the second growth step. A two-year-old or somebody starting in the second year begins to exhibit freedom and control of themselves why because they're securely loved because of this first year of being at the breast and being secure and nurtured and and they're not afraid of abandonment ultimately because they got love on the inside so if you're going to go start setting limits with somebody the first thing you got to do before you do that is go get a good therapist, go get a good counselor, go get a good support group, go join a codependency, and you got your army over here that's going to stand with you when you start to set those limits. So that's a really important part of this. So we're talking about that word boundaries. Uh, that's one word that has many, many tentacles attached to it, doesn't it? It hey, does. Just kind of curious. You know, we, we got to get our get our vision straight I, I just um i just had a, a new book come out called trust and people hit the trust button too quickly with narcissistic personalities and self-centered people and controlling people and part of the growth that all of us need to do is we need to know who to trust and who not to trust when to withhold trust. Who do I say no to? Very important. Dr. Henry Cloud, uh, you and I first made our acquaintance. I was thinking, yeah, uh, that was 20 pounds ago and I had a lot of dark hair. And uh, <laughs> same, same over there with you. I, I'm, I Thank you so much for taking the time out. It's good to be reacquainted with you this many years later. And uh, you're just doing so much so much out there in, in so many different venues. Uh, and by the way, to our audience, uh, if you just look up uh, Dr. Henry Cloud, what's your website uh, called? Is it just Henry it's, Cloud? It's drcloud.com, D-R-C-L-O-U-D.com. Okay. And okay. I would encourage them if they like, you know, this kind of looking at growth issues, um, check out a website called boundaries.me. Okay. Now I've got over a hundred courses on there, mini courses wow. okay. about and dealing with control freaks and depression and anxiety and all that stuff. So check it out. Boundaries, uh, not me. 
<laughs> my, my immediate my, my question with all of that is, Henry, when do you get all the time to do all that stuff, all the writing and courses and all the rest and speaking engagements? But you're a busy guy, keeps you uh, keeps you going, keeps you young. Well, you know, it's interesting. I'm kind of a lazy person, Liz. I mean, I, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so, but okay. Well, I no, I'm serious. I when I was in graduate school, well, I say lazy. I, um, I, just, I, it's easy for me to do things I love to do. Okay, it's hard for me to do things I don't like to do. But one time I was struggling. I was writing my dissertation, and um, and I'm going, how am I going to write this thing? It seems like such a big, you know. And I was in prayer, and God, you know, for those of you think I'm crazy, you think I'm crazy, but but he pointed me to a verse, to a passage in the Bible, a specific passage, and I went and read it. It's in Proverbs chapter six, and it says, it says, go to the ant, O sluggard, <laughs> and observe her ways. And I go, God, I'm not a sluggard. Well, I started to do word study on sluggard, and way back in the etymology of all this, there's a part to it that means somebody that avoids pain i go okay i'm guilty you know I, i'm avoiding the pain of this okay so a friend of mine i told a friend of mine about this and they bought me an ant farm to observe the ant yeah then i looked at the ants and what they did was they just picked up one little grain of sand and carried it over to the other side and i'm watching nothing much has happened i don't see a dissertation forming and then I come back in there a week later and they had built a whole city, but they just yeah. did about picking up one grain of sand at a time. So, you know, how do you write well, a bunch so Maybe of the nicest compliment that you could get would be somebody to start calling you Aunt Henry. That might, that might be that, that you know, <laughs> just one, just one little. One at one, a time. One at a time. Okay. Hey, Anybody can do it. I'm saying that to say, guys, whatever, you know, things you want to do in life, Nobody ever did it all at once. Just pick up that first grain of sand and do it yeah. again tomorrow. Today's Tuesday or today's Friday. Okay. That's yeah. all I got. Henry, thanks so much for taking time out of your schedule. I appreciate you uh, speaking with us and uh, hope this won't be the last time we have the chance to interact. Okay. Be fine, Les. Good to, good to be with you and God bless all you're doing. Oh, thanks so much. Thank you for listening. Surviving Narcissism is the product of many years of work done by Dr. Les Carter. Dr. Carter is a best-selling author and therapist with more than 40 years of experience, specializing in anger management and narcissistic personality disorder. You can find more content from Dr. Carter on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at Surviving Narcissism, as well as on his website, survivingnarcissism.tv. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We are so glad to have you on Team Healthy.